everyone, and special greetings today of the Valentine's Day kind. Though I'm a bit hesitant saying that, having recently gone onto a well-known card creation website, just to see what are the current popular Valentine's Day messages out there. I don't recommend that you do that because a sizable number of those messages I would never care to repeat. But there were the other more classic, cutesy, cheesy kind of messages with teddy bears, love hearts, roses, and badly rhyming verse. There were also the more effusive outpourings on a larger scale, epic declarations and descriptions of love. They often seem to involve the solar system, the planets, things like, I love you to the moon and back. You're my sun, you're my moon, you're my stars, you're my universe. Or our love outshines all the stars in the night sky. And there were also those more downbeat, kind of offhand messages. Things like Valentine's Day, a day where I love you just as much as every other day, but I have to buy you a card to prove it. Or, turns out I like you more than I originally planned. Happy Valentine's Day. And then my personal favorite, I'm gonna show you this one. I would never leave you too soon. Sorry about that. Anyway, all of that got me thinking, if those are the human outpourings of love to human beloved, where does that leave us in terms of declaring love for the most epic being possible in our lives? God. Whether you know him a little, a lot, somewhere in the middle, or not sure that you do, let's just assume that God is the most epic being possible and therefore deserves the most large-scale declarations of our love. What would we say, especially if all the planets and solar system are already taken? What would be your declaration of love? What would be mine? That's what we're looking at today. How big is your love? Following on from Stephen's talk last week on how big is your God? What could I with integrity say? If I could find something big enough, would I really mean it? Could I with integrity say I have that degree of love for God? Already a challenge, but then I hit a real Houston, we have a problem in the form of Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. This verse is God's own requirement where he lays down how he wants us to love him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And my response to that is, yikes, which is not very spiritual, I know, so I'll try again. Yikes. If we are hearing or reading that commandment and not feeling anxious, I don't think we understand it properly because that commandment is telling us that we need to love God with all that we are and with all that we do all the time, without fail. I don't know about you if you've loved God like that, but I know I haven't. I know I don't. So what do we do with that? What do we do with a commandment to love God that is so, so hard to keep? Impossible to keep? 
Well, I thought I would enlist the help of two friends just to tease this out a bit, get some answers, get some hope. Now, unfortunately, these two friends are not able to be in the same room as me today. It's nothing to do with COVID. It's simply because they don't live in the same century as me. They do live in the same century as each other and conveniently in the same century as Jesus. Yeah, they knew Jesus well. They worked with him, walked with him, learned from him. They were in his inner circle as disciples and close friends. So let's meet them. First of all, meet Peter. Peter is a shy man, retiring man, a few words, not. Peter had what we would call a mouth on him. And with a fisherman's background, it was probably quite a foul mouth at times. But Peter leaves us in no doubt whatsoever as to his love and loyalty for Jesus. He's very upfront about it, verbal, vehement. He takes many opportunities to let us know of his unparalleled love and loyalty for his master. If Peter were crafting some sort of Valentine's message for Jesus, I reckon it would be, well, first of all, it'd be out there. It would be unmissable. Maybe he'd use the back of an upturned boat. You know, rough and ready, not much finesse to it, big. I don't think there'd be pictures on there, but there'd be text, caps lock, shouty, and definitely blunt and to the point. So maybe Peter would have said something like this. Hey, Jesus, these other losers might up and leave you, but no way I'd ever do that. Love, Peter. Artistic license? Sure. But, but I think there is good evidence to show that Peter might well have said something like that. Because, well, let's see, what did he actually say as recorded in scripture? Matthew 8, verse 19, I will go with you wherever you go, even to prison and to death. Mark 14, verse 29, I will never leave you, even if all the rest do. Peter's version of the EU card. And Matthew 26, verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I would never deny you. And Peter was a man of action. He wanted to back up his love with demonstrations too. So he did stuff that he thought was super big loving for Jesus. Jesus didn't always see it that way, but Peter meant it well. So when Jesus announces that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die, Peter's reaction, no, Lord, don't ever say such a thing. That's never going to happen to you. Then it's the Last Supper. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. It gets to Peter's turn. No, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. That is way below you. You're my master. That's humiliating for you. Peter felt that was a loving thing to say. Then in the garden, when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do but slash the ear off one of them? That's Peter saying, anyone who crosses me over someone I love had better watch out. Peter, we look at him and we would for sure say, there is a man who loves God with all his heart, soul, strength and mouth. 
If Peter were around today, no question, he would be on the Christian conference circuit. We'd have him up there. He'd have his own Instagram account, his own YouTube channel, the whole works. And he would be billed as, this is the real deal. This is the disciple who really follows Jesus. He's white hot, sold out, none of this wishy-washy, lukewarm stuff. This is Peter, colors nailed to the mast. This is the disciple who loves with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. Wow, what a remarkable disciple is this Peter. Okay, now let's meet my other friend. This is John. John is a very different kind of guy. He's a lot more low key, low profile, but make no mistake, this John, he is passionate about many things, including Jesus. But John had a different take on relationship with Jesus. He had a very different kind of relationship with Jesus. So whereas Peter's mantra for relationship might have been, I'll show you what, what loving Jesus looks like, John's, I think, would have been more, come and see, come and see how much Jesus loves me. John was the beloved disciple. He is the only disciple who goes by the title, the disciple who Jesus loved. Wow, what an amazing title. Where did he get that from? Who gave it to him? He did. John gave himself that title. That title is only ever found in one book, the book written by John. And John in that book does not refer to himself by name, John, but as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He is self-titled. How does that make you feel about John? Does it make you feel, hmm, he's a bit prideful, arrogant? Or maybe does it make you think, no, 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 he must have been elevated by Jesus, specially chosen by Jesus to be loved in a special way. Or perhaps that John must have had some remarkable level of devotion that stirred up in Jesus an extraordinary closeness to John. In other words, that's unique. It's not something that you or I could have. Well, John, Peter, both disciples, amazingly remarkable people. Peter draws attention to his big love for Jesus. John focuses on Jesus' big love for him. Horses for courses, just different people loving in different ways. Well, let's see. Let's see how those two different loves played out. Let's go back to Peter. So we know Peter's devotion was all in, and it was backed by action. Peter really did walk the talk. That man walked where angels feared to tread, and most sane people. But Peter was in that very close inner circle of three, and he was also a born leader amongst the other disciples. And he was sincere in his commitment to Jesus and his cause. But when it came down to the wire, when it really mattered, things fell apart with Peter badly. For all his epic declarations of love and loyalty for his master, Peter did leave Jesus when Jesus most needed him. Peter didn't follow Jesus wherever he went and he did deny him 
not once or even twice, but three times, denied he'd ever known Jesus with cursing. And he did abandon him. In the hours of Jesus' most acute need, Peter forsook him. Peter was nowhere to be found at the cross. What went wrong? Let's go back to John. Now, John was a young man. He was the youngest disciple of Jesus, and he could be immature. He had flaws just like anyone else. He could be overly ambitious. He could be overly judgmental of people. But John, for all his youth, grasped something that the other older disciples did not. And it was this, that first and foremost, this Jesus wants me to know and believe that I am loved by him. Recklessly, relentlessly, affectionately loved by him, even when I don't love at all well. Obvious, you might say, God loves us. No, 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 no. That was revolutionary. That was alien, especially in that time where the emphasis would have been on your love for God and proving that through your level of service and faithfulness and worship and sacrifice. Not that God loved you in that way. I wonder if we still think that today. But John saw a different invitation and it was one initiated by Jesus himself. And it wasn't go and do, it was come and be. Come and be loved by me. Come and be my beloved. Come and believe that you are loved by me. And John received that. He believed it. And that's what gave John the grace to call himself the disciple who Jesus loved. It wasn't elevation that caused John to call himself that. No, it was revelation. He got it. He understood. This Jesus loves me and wants me to know I'm the beloved. It wasn't because John was special that he had big love for Jesus. No, it was because he recognized how special and big was Jesus' love for him. John would go on to write in one of his letters, for we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love, abide in God and God in him. But what were the consequences of John knowing and believing that he was beloved by Jesus? There are so many, so wonderfully many, and sadly we don't have time to dive into them in any depth, but just to highlight them quickly. But the standout one is rest. John is the only disciple recorded as reclining against Jesus. He rested his head against his heart. What does that show us? That John was completely at ease, completely at rest comfortable, relaxed in Jesus' love. He wasn't striving to give him his own. He rested in Jesus' love for him. And in that place of head against his heart, 
in that place, John had access to the secrets of Jesus' heart. Knowing and believing he was loved by Jesus gave him access into incredible revelation. Revelation about who Jesus is, his eternal identity. The book of John is full of that, full of the names of Jesus that we love and cherish today. The door, the vine, the living water, the resurrection and the life and so on. But revelation about who the Father is, that the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father and they share the same glory and they love the same and they love the world. And revelation about the Spirit, the glorious Spirit of God who, when Jesus' earthly ministry was done, would come and remind us of all the things Jesus had taught us and show us how to love, where to love, who to love, when to love. But don't for a minute think that John just received things that were inner, that were a little airy-fairy or mystical. No, knowing he was beloved of Jesus gave John such an amazing resilience, a resoluteness, a robustness in his walking out of faith. John is the only male disciple who, after all the disciples were scattered at the arrest of Jesus, the only one to come back and stand there at the foot of the cross, watching every last harrowing moment of the crucifixion. That was dangerous for John. He could have been arrested himself. But knowing he was loved gave him that resolve and that resilience to follow his master right through to the very end, which he did through his own very long life. And it made him reliable in love for others. Who was it that Jesus entrusted with the care of his most precious human relationship on earth? His mother, John. John was entrusted with her care. Those who know and believe they are beloved of Jesus are reliable in taking care of others too. And he was responsible with the revelation that he himself had received about the love of God. He gave his life to that, to helping others come into that knowledge and believing and receiving of the God who is love. I want to walk out those consequences too, don't you? But let's not leave Peter in that place of abject failure and darkness because redemption came and restoried Peter's story. Aren't you so glad that God does that? That he restores our stories? I'm so glad he does that for me. Jesus came and in a level of forgiveness and restoration that is so extreme, Jesus helped Peter grasp that if we focus on our love for God, if we rely on that, if we count on that, if we boast in that, oh, that is so vain, so futile, so empty. Actually, it's an insult to the love of God. It would be like hastily drawing a rough stick man sketch and putting it up to the most glorious portrait by Rembrandt and looking at them both and saying, hmm, yeah, they're the same. 
No, Peter had to understand that there's only one love that can be counted on. There is only one love big enough to enable any of us to love God, to love others, to love ourselves. There's only one person who with all integrity can say, I will never leave you or forsake you. I believe Peter needed to be delivered of his own big love for Jesus. Yes, delivered of it. And the deliverer came and set Peter free. He helped him realize that if Peter were going to know the Father intimately in the way the Father wants to be known, if he were going to love and follow the Son faithfully all his days, if he were going to love and care for those ones that Jesus wanted to entrust to him in the future, and if he were going to run his race, no matter how tough it would be, and it would be, Peter was going to need to cut off sourcing his love from the love of Peter and tap into a very different river of love, which is the love of God. And Peter got it. He got there in the end. He saw it and he received it. And so with all integrity at last, Peter in humility, not leaning at all on his own love anymore, could say to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you and be given that commission by Jesus. Take care of my fledgling church, my bride, my most treasured possession. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Where does that leave you and me? Sometimes we can feel like we're stuck in our relationship with God, like we're in neutral, not going anywhere. And our default position so often is to look at ourselves and think, well, it's because I just don't love God enough. Is that you today? Do you feel that way, that you're stuck and it must be because you just don't love God enough? Maybe it's time to shift focus and ask a different question. Not, well, how big is my love for God? But how big is this God's love for me? And how well do I understand that? How well am I receiving that? Could it be that I need delivering of my own big love for God? So there's room on the inside of me for the beautiful river of God's love to flow in and through me. Do I need fresh revelation today that God is restoring my story? And that question that we started off with today, what do we do with the impossible commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength? I believe we do as John did. We look on the one and the only one who has ever been able to fulfill that commandment, Jesus, who there in full sight for all to see, shows us, I know that you could never do this for yourselves. So I am going to fulfill it for you on your behalf to its very fullest 
and he did, even to the laying down of his life. Jesus demonstrated his love for God. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength on that cross. But not only God, he demonstrated that same love for us. He shows us in those moments, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. John would go on to write, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, payment in full for our sins. What does it mean then? That means we too can rest. As John did, we can lay our heads against Jesus' heart. And in that place, rest from our own love, trying to prove, trying to strive, trying to produce our own love for God. And instead, dwell there, receiving his love, abiding in his love first. Because that will always be the divine order of love. We love because he first loved us. Then, and only then, may we respond in love. And through his love in us, rise up and fulfill the new commandment that Jesus gave us. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Oh wow, that sounds like a big ask too. Well it is, if we see it as a scary solo challenge that somehow we have to go off on our own and be some sort of Jesus clones trying to imitate what Jesus did. That's scary, but that's not what he's inviting us into. No, 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 this is a shared adventure. We don't go to try and imitate Jesus. We go as Jesus. We go with Jesus' own glorious spirit on the inside of us, empowering us through that spirit to love one another to show us how to love, who to love, where to love, when to love, empowered by him and him alone. Each one of us is Jesus wrapped up in us and us all wrapped up in Jesus. Each one of us is Jesus' Valentine's Day gift to the world. Every day we get to be Jesus, loving as him, but fully ourselves, uniquely who we are. So, beloved, this Valentine's Day, turn away from looking at how big your love is for God and instead focus on a love that is in God and is so big that we will spend the rest of our days discovering it. And in that love, go and be his Valentine's Day gift to the world. There's going to be an opportunity next week just to delve a little deeper into how we can better receive more of God's love for ourselves. And that's going to be a separate session that you are so welcome to sign up for. But for now, for today, how about just taking this next moment to rest in God's love as music plays in the background 
why not just come and what do I do? What do I do? Nothing. Do nothing. You don't need to say, pray, sing. Just be. Be loved by him. You may want to hear him say your own name and then just simply declare to you those three words. I love you. <laughs>